Thank you, Rachel and Paul. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Before we get to the message today, which is about the name of God and the name of Jesus, as you'll see, let me ask you a question, but just to kind of help you, I'll give you my story on this. If somebody asked you, what is the dirtiest you've ever been? What is the muckiest you've ever been? Whether, whether you like horses and you're mucking out a stable of horses. I'll tell you my story. Um, in God's own country in Yorkshire, because you know it's telephone calls to heaven are local rates up there in Yorkshire, um, I was on a rugby field on a day much like this, but perhaps it was raining even more. And at the end of the game, you couldn't tell the difference between the players on my side and the, and the players on the other side because the clay in Scarborough is very, very sticky and gooey. You know that kind of sticky... And I was covered from head to foot in this mud and you couldn't even tell the difference between me and the opposition team. And absolutely filthy and caked in this clay. What is your... Just turn to someone next to you and tell them the, the muckiest, the, the filthiest you've ever been in that kind of context, okay? So... That's the context, right? Make sure they get a chance to share as well. Okay, just make sure you've both shared. All right. It's kind of one of those times where you want to have competition for the best story. All I can tell you is on that day, um, we, had, we had showers at my rugby club, but we had these, uh, it's completely frowned upon now, these big, big deep, red-hot water-filled baths that we all jump in with the opposition at the end, and, uh, and you get warm against the cold, and you get clean, and it's a tremendous feeling, and then you get into your your finest togs if you're on an away team we had to wear a blazer and tie and all that kind of malarkey but where I'm going with this is this there was another moment where I felt much worse than being covered in clay and mud and it was a moment at the age of 32 when I had not even seen it coming but I'm suddenly confronted with the fact that God is alive in Jesus Christ that I'd done a lot of bad stuff I'd murdered anyone or robbed a bank but stuff I was ashamed of and I suddenly came to know that the only way I could be forgiven and the only way I could understand there's a life beyond this life and a quality of eternal life in this life that I could enjoy was to completely surrender myself to Jesus. And I want to tell you in that moment, at the age of 32, having been an atheist before that, as many of you here know, it was as if God was taking off filthy robes, filthy garments, and clothing me in the most beautiful, pure robes. That's what it felt like. Then a couple of years later, uh, it was a week after I'd been baptized in the North Sea along with my wife Marilyn, on the day of our wedding anniversary, uh, September the 24th, so we just celebrated 40 years of marriage on our holiday. Thank you. My wife romantically says she could have done three life sentences for that, but there you are. But after that baptism, a week later, again, I was on my face before God, aware of his love, not feeling like a worm, but just feeling, how could he love me? I know the kind of stuff. And I knew that I'd caused Jesus to have to go through that painful, agonizing death. It was my sin that he took there to that cross. It was me that did it. 
And I was feeling all of that. But then wave after wave of love and cleansing and mercy and grace and forgiveness hit me as I realized he loved me the way I was and he was going to clean me up and change my life and give me a better life. And in that moment, a couple of years after my conversion, I knew that I was called. God dropped scripture into my head. Matthew 4.19, I didn't know what it was. I had to go tiptoe through the house because it was very late at night. The children were asleep. And I looked it up and it said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. I lived in a fishing town in Scarborough in North Yorkshire and I knew what Jesus meant and I knew that my life was going to be completely different and all over again it was like having these one set of clothes taken off and a beautiful set of pure robes put on me. Anyone ever had an experience anything like that? Quite a number of you have. This sense of God's love and God's acceptance. Well, if you have or you haven't, I hope today is going to be helpful. Because what we're doing in this message, all this message is today, is to prepare us for this table. Is that all right? Everything that I say is to prepare us for this table. And this is what I want to say. Some people today, you will be liberated, you will be released, you will be helped if you don't wait for the service to come, but you come and kneel here and give me the incredible privilege as one forgiven sinner, of offering bread and wine to you, which represents the full extent of God's love shown in Jesus Christ. For some of you today, come and don't wait for the service. Come and kneel here. But this is the way I'd like to put it, even before I get to the end of the message. Come here to change one set of clothes for another. Yeah? One set of robes for another. Come here to get rid of the stuff that you just feel you can't get rid of. Maybe, and I find this as a pastor often, some people feel God can forgive me but not for that thing I don't want anyone to ever see that thing projected onto that screen how could God forgive me that how could God love me well because he's done everything to make it possible so I'm going to read the text now and the text is from Jeremiah chapter 23 verses I'm just going to read verse 1 to 8 for now and the heading in the new international version I'm speaking from says the righteous branch that, that phrase is going to be very significant in this morning's message. Jeremiah, the prophet, is recorded here in Jeremiah 23 from verse 1 to verse 8 as saying this, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I'll bestow punishment on you for the evil you've done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them. And they'll no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he banished them, 
then they will live in their own land. It's a wonderful promise of God bringing peoples together. In this context, of course, his people, the Jews, Israel and Judah. But as we start uh, this message today, let me remind you, for those of you who've, uh, who've, who are here for the first time, I've just started coming, um, a welcome to all the students who've arrived in the city. We've said a sad farewell to our students who've gone elsewhere. If you haven't met me yet, my name's Clive. I'm one of the pastors here along with Ross. He's the non-wrinkly, good-looking one, okay? Um, and we give you a warm welcome. But whether you're here for the first time or not, we've been in this series, What's in a Name? And as we've looked at the names of God, we've said that God reveals who he is, his character through his name. In John 17, on the night of his arrest, Jesus is praying. And he prayed, thank you, Father, for those that you've given me. I've revealed you to them. And what he's saying in the Greek in the New Testament is, I've revealed your name to them. Jesus revealed the name of God the Father, has revealed the character of God the Father, has revealed who God is. And at one stage to those disciples on that same evening, when they said, well, show us the way to the Father, he says, don't you know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the name we come to today that reveals something of the character of God in this tenth message in this series is Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu. The character of God revealed here is that God is a God who wants to make us righteous. He loves us. He knows we get it wrong. We blow it. Let me just pause and check because you can leave now if this is true of you. Is there anyone out there that never ever gets it wrong and blows it? Looking at the balcony. Michael and Pam are having a discussion just to check. Okay. No, it's a shake of the head. No, they're not included. Anyone out there perfect? Because either, if you are, you need to come and speak and I need to step down because I'm not. Or you can walk now because you don't need to hear it. There is one person here who's perfect. But you can't see him. But he promised to be present where even two or three are gathered. It's Jesus. And we'll come to that. But when we look at this name, and you'll see the Hebrew behind me, kind of highlighted for you, this name, Jehovah, or Yahweh Sidkenu, first mentioned in Jeremiah 23, verse 6, means the Lord our righteousness, or the Lord is our righteousness. Now, for those of you who haven't been here, we've been doing Hebrew lessons every Sunday morning. Okay? I'm not a Hebrew scholar. There may be Hebrew scholars here. Uh, we've certainly got Greek scholars here. Um, but actually, we've been learning a bit of Hebrew. So I'll say this, and then if you repeat it with me, you will know what to say to someone who says, I just feel completely unworthy. I feel like dirty rags. I, I feel terrible about myself. Whether they're a believer or not, you'll be able to say, the God I love loves you the way you are. You want to know his name? His name is Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. So let me say it one more time and then you repeat it with me. Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. And together, Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. Now on your own, try and say it to someone nearby. Go on, see if you can repeat it. Give it a go, Val. Okay? Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. Great. Now that's in verse 6 of Jeremiah 23, but if I go to verse 5, listen to this, it's intriguing what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David, that's King David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So David's long gone, 
Jeremiah had known a righteous king called Josiah. There was a massive revival of the people of God at the time of the kingship of Josiah. But now they're turning their back on God and they're going after other gods. And Jeremiah prophesies that there's going to be a descendant of David who's called a righteous branch. And he'll be a king that will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And then listen to the key verse for today, verse 6. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he, that this righteous branch, by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Yahweh said Kenu. So the question then is, who is the righteous branch? Who is it? And I bet you've all got a really good guess, because like in Sunday school, the children always know the answer. It's just about always Jesus. This weeping prophet, Jeremiah, to give you a little bit of background, was a weeping prophet because despite the early good beginnings with Josiah, there were all these evil kings, these false kings, that led people into terrible, idolatrous worship. And he was a man who was experiencing all kinds of fake, false, faithless, so-called worship. Let me tell you, the unrighteous are those who are fake, those who are false, and those who are faithless. So to the age of 32, I looked and acted pretty reasonable on the outside. Till that moment when I came to recognize it was like being covered in, the, in, in worse than the filthy rags I was covered in that day on that rugby field. I looked on the outside pretty respectable. Private school teacher, pillar of the community, captain of the rugby club, all of that kind of stuff. Was well appreciated, family man, etc. You don't want to know the other side, but I knew it. And there was a part of me that was fake and false and certainly faithless because I didn't believe there was any God, let alone this God. And that's unrighteous. Because God created every man and woman to be true to themselves and true to him, not fake. He created every man and woman not to be false, but to be real. He created every man and woman to be filled with faith and love of him, not to be faithless and turn away from him. And he created us so that he could love us and we could love him right back. He's a loving God. He wants the best for those he's created. But this weeping prophet has got to a stage where people are being fake, false and faithless. And let me list it for you to give you the context. There were fake, uncaring shepherds. There were false, lying prophets. And worst of all, perhaps, there were faithless, godless priests. So the shepherds are the kings and the elders and the leaders of the people of Judah, where Jeremiah is prophesying. The prophets were the so-called prophets who were supposed to bring the word of God to Judah. And the priests of all people were the ones who built the bridge between heaven and earth. They brought the people to God and God to the people, but they were faithless. They were godless the context is horrific. You see it right here in the background. Verses 1 to 4, let's go back to it. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. 
Now, back at the creation of the modern Israel in the 50s, God brought people from all over the world, Jews from all over the world, back to Israel to reconstitute that. And there's going to be further fulfillments where the people of God, the Jewish people of God, that chosen people, will be called back to Jerusalem. But, but the church is the new Israel. There's going to be a time when all the people of God, Jew and Gentile, who are part of the church, are going to be called to worship this righteous branch, this faithful shepherd, the one we know to be the good shepherd. But in the meantime, not just the Jews, but Gentiles too, and you and I, if you're Gentile by background, non-Jew, we are supposed to have over us shepherds. Now that means rulers, leaders, kings, politicians, and above all maybe pastors in the church that tend and care for the flock in a loving way. But let me tell you, it, it's tough. You are the sheep of Jesus' pasture if you're a Christian. Yep. And I'm a shepherd, I'm a pastor. The word in the New Testament is poiman, it means shepherd, it means pastor. I'm just an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd, Jesus. That's all I am. Ross and I are pastors in this church. Let me tell you, it's a wonderful, incredible joy and a privilege to be a pastor. The only time it isn't is when the sheep that are supposed to eat grass turn carnivorous and take a lump out of the shepherd. Now, you'd never do that, would you? No. You'd never bite me and Ross. I can tell you with my hand on my heart, there's not a person in this church that I know, and even the ones I don't know, I'm committed to it because God's put it in there, that I don't love. And I'll stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with you and try everything I can to establish that. There's not one. Whatever they're going through, whatever their issues, whatever their challenges, you are loved by God. And a long time ago I said, God put that supernatural love in my heart. And I want to tell you, sometimes it moves me, just like now, to tears. Because I sit by bedsides and I visit in hospital and I visit people in their home and I, I'm at funerals and I see marriages struggling and all that kind of stuff. And I have not learned and I, I, I'm committed to not learning to do what some ministers call professional detachment. Heard of that one? Now you must never get close to the people. What? I, I'm supposed to be like Jesus, aren't I? That's a challenge enough. You're now telling me to be detached from the people that he's told me to love. No. But let me tell you some statistics that I checked on recently. Because I, I have a ministry to pastors by the grace of God. Other pastors. And I haven't met one yet that didn't love Jesus and didn't want to do the best for the people of Jesus. But if I asked you how many people, how many pastors out of ten, make it from ordination and the laying on of hands, if that's the way that, that, that they got ordained and set apart for ministry, to retirement still in ministry. If I said how many out of ten, what percentage? Now you now know it's going to be low. I've asked this question to many people. But just tell the person next to you, how many do you think? How many out of ten? What percentage? What do you think it is? You're probably going to go low. Some of you are probably going to say about five, fifty percent maybe. Do you want to know how many? This is across Baptists, Methodists, Anglicans, etc., etc., etc. Two. Twenty percent. Why am I doing this? So that you'll get the violins out and go, oh, poor Clive and Ross. Na, 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 na. We must be nicer to them. Nah. Well, if that helps, yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm up for that. But no, because that's why these fake, uncaring shepherds were only interested in themselves. 
When the going got tough, they just got going. They wanted more money. They wanted not to care for the people. The people were unruly. So what they did is they let the, the sheep be just completely scattered. They even destroyed the sheep. And God was very angry with these fake, uncaring shepherds. But he said a time's coming when he'll put good shepherds over them. And then the false lying prophets. This is even worse. Listen to verses um, 8 to 10. Actually, let's go verses 9 to 10. Jeremiah is speaking, the weeping prophet. He said, concerning the prophets, he brings God's word. My heart is broken within me. Jeremiah is speaking of his own heart. My heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I'm like a drunken man, like overcome by wine. Because of the Lord and his holy words, the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched. The pastures in the desert are withered. The prophets follow evil course and they use their power unjustly. What is he saying? He's saying, I feel like a drunk staggering. I'm I'm absolutely oppressed. Because there are prophets who are lying. They're prophesying not from God but out of evil and the people are suffering and even the land is suffering. It's being destroyed. It's almost like there's a curse upon it. In verses 13 and 14, if you just drop down and have a look at that beyond our reading, he says, Among the prophets of Samaria I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal. Now Baal was a pagan god who was worshipped by sacrificing your baby to him. That's how evil Baal was. And these prophets in Samaria are prophesying by Baal. In other words, demons behind the idol that is Baal. Because an idol is nothing. If I read on, it gets worse. He says, verse 14, Among the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen something horrible. They commit adultery. In other words, they've gone off after false gods. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from his wickedness. They're like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, for whatever reasons, and that can be disputed, but for whatever reasons, is a type of evil in Scripture. And you've got Jeremiah saying, these prophets of Jerusalem, that they're making the people like Sodom and Gomorrah. The people are rejecting me because the false prophets are giving them false messages. Wow. And it gets even worse because then Jeremiah turns his guns on the faithless, godless priests. Look at verse 11. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore their path will become slippery. They'll be banished to darkness and they will fall. I'll bring disaster on them in the year they are punished, declares the Lord. God is a God of love, but when he sees his people destroyed and the land destroyed and children sacrificed to false gods, God says, Jeremiah, speak to them, warn them. Because if I have to stand back because they reject me, the Babylonians are going to come in and it's all over. End game. That's exactly what happened. Right at the end of Jeremiah's ministry, the people who had ignored him, they even dropped him down cisterns, they, they threw stones at him, they treated him in a way that he was reviled. But what he prophesied came to pass. If you keep ignoring God, eventually the Babylonians are coming. And they're wicked and cruel and oppressive and the Babylonians came. Ask you a question. Anyone noticed what they would describe as a bit of a decay in Western society? Oh, only three of us. The rest of us think it's all fine and okay. Western society, there's so much that's good. And you know why? Because it's founded on this. 
It's not to say it was always perfect. But as the people of the West turn away from this and turn to other gods, who knows what comes? Who knows what comes? Anne Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter, was asked, where was your God when the Twin Towers were struck? I'm glad I wasn't the one asked that question. She said, God was there in the brave lives of those who helped. But if you're asking me, why didn't he stop it? If we keep rejecting God in our schools, in our courts, in our states, and we keep rejecting God and rejecting God, eventually when God steps back, sadly and tragically, anything can come in. I'll never forget watching the second plane hit the Twin Tower. I'll never forget seeing people fall. Heartbreaking. There's some good news coming. Aren't you relieved? For goodness sake, Clive, lighten up. I didn't come to church this morning to hear about you saying that the West is going down the plug hole. Well, I've got some good news for you. You see, in comparison to the fake, uncaring shepherds and the false, lying prophets and the faithless, godless priests, God promises to Isaiah that a faithful, righteous branch is coming, who is the good shepherd, the true prophet, the holy priest, and the king of kings. Amen? Just listen again to verse 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Okay, so the righteous branch has a name and the name is the Lord our righteousness. Who is this righteous branch? You're way ahead of me, aren't you? I've stolen my own thunder. Let's go to Isaiah, though, just to make sure. Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch, here it is, will bear fruit. And then who does this sound like, folks? The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And if we go a little bit further on in verse 4 of Isaiah 11, he's described in this way, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. And in verse 5 of Isaiah 11, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Where others are fake and false and faithless, The righteous branch will be faithful. Wow. A righteous branch, a king. And in his days he'll be known as the Lord our righteousness. I just want to give you it because you all know it is. This is Jehovah Jesus. Jehovah Jesus, our righteousness. But I want to go to just one more prophet just to make sure that we're getting this right. So I've gone from a major prophet, Jeremiah, to another major prophet, Isaiah, and I go to a minor prophet. It just means a book shorter. It doesn't mean he's less significant. But Zechariah writes in chapter 3 something phenomenal and symbolic and prophetic. Zechariah the prophet describes the clean garments of a high priest. Listen to chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua. Now, if you've got an NIV, you'll see that the footnote for Joshua says it's a variant of Yeshua or Jeshua. And in English, we say Joshua, Jeshua is Jesus. 
the Lord who saves. Then he showed me Joshua, Yeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand. By the way, there's a footnote there too. Satan means accuser. Pause. Anyone ever felt bad about themselves recently? Any Christians ever felt bad about themselves recently? Even though the Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that you are beloved and God knows all about you and he still loves you. Anyone felt bad about themselves recently? Well, it's probably because someone's tapping on the shoulder called Satan, the accuser, actually not him. We're not important enough for him to bother with us. He'll send one of his little minions, one of his little dark minions, to accuse you, and he'll tell you, oh, call yourself a Christian, and you had that thought, and you said that thing, and you didn't forgive, and you did that wrong thing. Ever heard that voice? Crumbs, I'm the only sinner in the church today. It's amazing. Thank you, brother. Satan is the accuser. As we go back to this text, Satan is standing at the right side of a high priest, Joshua, Yeshua, accusing him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a man, this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. Go back to your illustration. You know, your worst moment. Me on the rugby field covered in mud. Me on my face feeling dirty. Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, listen to this, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. That's what it represents. And I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place amongst those standing here. Okay? So this is Joshua, the priest's clean clothes. But let's listen to... Uh, Zechariah talking about Jesus, the branches cleansing power. Let's go to verses 8 to 10 of Zechariah chapter 3. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come? So Joshua's real and he existed, but he's also symbolic of someone to come. Are you with me? The priests are symbolic of the great priest to come, the high priest of all high priests. So listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to send, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. Here he is again. Jeremiah speaks of the branch. Isaiah speaks of the branch. And now we've got Zechariah speaking the, uh, of the branch. See the stone I've set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes. This is symbolism, again, of God's all-seeing nature. Seven speaks of holiness and perfection of God. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, and it says, The Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. I spoke of the Day of Atonement. Jews still remember the Day of Atonement in Yom Kippur. But it speaks of another day. It says, verse 10, In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree 
uh, declares the Lord Almighty, speaking of prosperity and blessing, not a cursed land, but a blessed, prosperous land. With me? Now, lots of bright people here. On what day in the whole of human history did God take the whole sin of the world in a single day? Just name it for me. Thank you. Good Friday. Jesus was killed, died on a cross, a simple wooden cross. Three days later, hallelujah, he was alive again. So let's talk a little bit more about Jehovah Jesus, our righteousness and his cleansing power. You see, Jehovah Jesus, our righteousness, is the fulfillment of that verse 6 of Jeremiah 23. If you remember that key verse, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu. But let me go to some other scriptures, and this is beginning to prepare our hearts for this table, preparing for some of you to come and kneel here and get your clothes changed. Not literally, don't panic. If you've got a Bible, go with me to John's first letter, 1 John, right towards the end of the New Testament. I'm going to read verses. How many, how many people of Anglican background have we got in here other than me? I've got Anglican background. Praise God for your background, brothers and sisters. You will recognize these verses because you've said them in your liturgy at some stage. John 1. I'm going to read from verse 5 of John 1 uh, right down to uh, verse 6 of chapter 2. Listen to this. John's speaking to Christians, by the way, in this letter. This is a message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, this is to Christians he's writing, if you, if I, if they, to whom John was writing, claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, he writes with such warmth and affection. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jehovah Jesus. Yahweh Sidkenu. Father and Son. God the Son and the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not just one day in the temple, the day of atonement, not Yom Kippur, not even Good Friday, though in, on Good Friday, Jesus fulfilled all that was prophesied. He became the sacrificial lamb that every other sacrificial lamb had pointed to, and in one day he took away the sin of the world for all who would put their trust in him. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hallelujah! 
This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know we're going to sing in a moment? So, Rachel and Paul, if you want to come back. A beautiful song. It's been around quite a while now. It's really old. It's been around since 1996. King of kings, majesty, God of heaven, living in me, gentle saviour, closest friend, strong deliverer, beginning and end, all within me falls at your throne. Listen to the chorus. Your majesty, I can but bow. I lay my all before you now. In royal robes, I don't deserve. I live to serve my majesty. I don't care what you've done. And I don't care what's been done to you. Because as a pastor, one of the times when my heart has been most broken is when I've had people sitting there, men and women who've been, for instance, sexually abused, and they feel dirty because what was done to them. They feel guilty, which is dreadful, for what was done to them, the sin against them. And part of the pain they experience is they still feel dirty and broken. And I know right now this is too close and personal for some of you right here, isn't it? It hurts. And I tell you, that was not your fault. But even if it's something completely different that was your fault or my fault or our fault, come and get some new clothes today. Get rid of the filthy rags. Get the royal robes of righteousness on you. Because Jesus, Jahweh, Sidkenu, Jehovah Jesus, Jesus our righteousness, is right here at this table waiting to welcome you and me. And he decides that you are princesses and princes in the kingdom of God. Not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done and the trust and the faith that you have put in him. So this is the response that I'm hoping we'll, we'll make. That when we sing this song, if you just want to sit where you are, the servers are going to bring communion to you. But if you want to come forward, and it'll take a lot of courage... We won't be assuming that you're one of those people I just spoke very personally to, but it'll take a lot of courage. But whatever it is, if you need to know God's forgiveness and cleansing, just come. Come and claim your royal robes of righteousness. Come and get them. Let's pray. Father, I've said, and it's true, even for those I don't know, because I've asked you to give it to me, that there's not a man or a woman here that I don't love. And I, I don't mean in a wussy way, Lord. Love needs to be tough sometimes. But it's certainly true that however imperfect this particular under-shepherd is, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd is here. And there is not a man or a woman that he doesn't love passionately. There's not a man, a woman, a young person that he doesn't want to embrace and enfold with arms of love because he gave everything as he opened up his arms to take those nails on that cross. You are our righteousness, Jesus. Yahweh Sidkenu, you are the God of righteousness who imparted righteousness to us and gave us righteousness through giving us your one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. Jesus, we want to come to this communion table today confessing our sins. So join with me in this, brothers and sisters. Father, forgive us that we've sinned against you in thought and word and deed. 
through negligence, through weakness, worst of all at times through our own deliberate fault. But Father, we're truly sorry and we repent, we turn away from all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, forgive us all that is past. Take off our dirty clothes and put on us royal robes of righteousness, Lord. Help us, Jesus. Lord, we, we acknowledge that we've said and done and thought things that in a better moment we would never have done, never have said. We wouldn't have even thought it. And then there's, Lord, we, there's things we've left undone and unsaid that in a better moment we would have done those things. We would have said those things. Just forgive us all that stuff, please, Lord. And take off our filthy robes and cleanse us with robes of righteousness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.